0: Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Good morning, everyone. Uh, For those of you who pray and fast, we would ask that this would be a prayer and fasting kind of thing as we're seeking another staff pastor. So um, please, I would encourage you, maybe even now, begin to set a a time aside um, each week where you would seek the Lord on behalf of just the good of the church and the good of our community, that the Lord would just lead the right person to us that would be a good fit long term. Um, So really appreciate you doing that. And also, just an underscore for the, the prayer that... Prayer meeting is happening today at Greystone Church. That's 4 p.m. I will be at that meeting. That has kind of come out of uh, a group of pastors meet monthly. We're part of an organization here in Indiana. And so that, they're the, the ones who organize the prayer meetings each month. And one of the things we love about it is it celebrates the unity that we have with our brothers and sisters throughout the county. Um, so I would encourage you uh, to come to that. Uh, 4 p.m. at Greystone Church. It will be from 4 to 5 p.m. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have your very words preserved in Scripture. Holy Spirit, thank you that you illuminate your word. Jesus, thank you that you are our Lord and Savior. And we pray as we look to your word, we would be sharpened and encouraged and strengthened today in our commitment to, to the person and work of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our eyes and you would impress these things deeply upon our hearts and souls. Pray you would guard each of your kids. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen we are continuing our series in the letter of first john we are pretty far into this series so we are now on chapter four and if you're a guest you can catch up if you want to on our website if you go to our youtube channel not our website go to our youtube channel type in saving grace you'll see the little black circle with white lettering Uh, click on that and it'll lead you to the various messages in the past so this is um, a message on just Six verses from verse 1 through verse 6. The title is, Be on Guard. Be on guard. To prepare us to get our, our gears turning mentally, I want to ask some questions. How do we know, or how do you know truth from error? How do you know what is true versus what is false? How do we know? Is it possible to know if something is absolutely true? 100% true. Maybe a, a more personal question. How do we know if we should seek to learn from someone who is claiming to teach truth? How do you know who to listen to and who not to listen to? In our internet age, there are you could spend your lifetime listening to people that are teaching the truth or saying they're teaching the truth. How do you know which ones are actually True? Can a Christian, is it possible for a Christian to be deceived and led astray by false teachers? What about being influenced by false teachers? Is this something we should fear? Is this something we should be afraid of? How can we guard against the influence of false teachers and learn to benefit from sound teachers? Well, some variation of all those questions are going to be answered in our passages this morning. The Apostle John is trying to continue to prepare and protect the church that he pastored and cared for. And so we're going to walk through five points from these six verses, and we're going to be sharpened and and learn there really are two primary ways to guard and protect ourselves spiritually. So first one is this. These are not the points. These are the, the pre-points. We guard against false teachers by learning their schemes and strategies. So if you're into sports, that would be defense. We, we learn to guard against false teachers by learning the schemes and strategies. We also guard against false teachers by knowing, believing, and trusting in the true Jesus. So this would be more on the offensive end. By knowing, believing, and trusting Jesus. In the true Jesus. Effective teachers, this is point number one effective false teachers distort the truth. So if you want to be an effective false teacher, that's a person who would distort the truth. Look at verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So he's writing to Christians. He's, he's telling them, do not believe every spirit. Do not believe every teacher. And, and what he's saying is behind every teacher is either the Holy Spirit, the one true spirit, or false spirits that the Bible will describe as demonic or satanic or evil. And they're, they're often underneath and behind what looks like a normal, regular human being. See, effective false teachers distort the truth. If I wanted to start a cult this morning that would influence Christians, so if my target audience, who I want to gather and influence and lead astray, would be Christians, here's what I could do. I could tell you that last night at 12.01, actually this morning, I met a little green Martian, he was this tall and he told me to go to a mountaintop and he told me to bring you all with me and we're to wait and when we get there, he's going to teach us some really important truths that are not in this book. So I could do that and I could go to the mountaintop and my guess is including my family, it would be a very lonely mountaintop, I would be there by myself. Why is that? Because none of you would believe me that a little green Martian spoke to me. It's not an effective way to build a cult, to build a gathering based on false teaching. See, false teachers are much more careful and clever. I want to read uh, an account. This is from a community that was formed in the 1800s in the state of New York. Uh, This is what Wikipedia says about them. So this was a perfectionist religious community founded by a man named John Humphrey Noyes and his followers in 1848 in Oneida, New York. This community believed that Jesus had already returned in 70 AD, making it possible for them to bring in the the millennial kingdom themselves. They believed they were free from sin and They could be perfect in this world, not just in heaven to come. This belief was kind of an extreme of a belief that was very popular during that time called perfectionism. Now, maybe you think, well, that that doesn't sound too bad. Let me just read a little bit more about them. This community, they practiced communalism, which meant they just shared everything. So I'm sure they use Acts 2 to to make their case that they shared um, all the things they possessed. Homes, money. Um, material possessions, they shared them. The problem is they also practiced something called complex marriage. And complex marriage, they took that sharing principle and they kind of applied it across the board. And so they would not have defined marriage like the Bible defines marriage, but they would have thought everybody could be married to everybody and everybody's children belonged to everybody. And so under the guise of Christianity they went way far off course. Well, when I was a college sophomore, I had a good friend in Ithaca College, New York, who happened to live by this community. And This community was now a, a museum. You can go there to this day. And so I went with his anthropology class to go visit and learn about this community. And while we were there, we went into the chapel. And it, it was this creepy thing because um, I was into, uh, as a new Christian, really into uh, Charles Spurgeon, who we heard a little bit about today and and so in in the 1800s in England he was faithfully preaching the Bible. Well, in this community, in this cultish community I was in on this field trip, there was a pulpit and a Bible, which is a Bible like we have, laid out right in the middle. and so this man John, and others would falsely twist and distort and teach the Bible in ways that fed Their sinful passions and desires. And so, it was effective to gather multiple communities throughout the country for some time that were based on false ideas about Jesus and false ideas about how we should live. And what the Apostle John wants us to know is we need to be on guard because there will always be some form of distortion of the truth until Jesus comes back. And here's the thing, you don't have to be afraid of this, but you should be on guard. See, false teachers in, let's say, the Christian, broad Christian circle, they they usually do one of two things, sometimes they do both. They either distort the person and work of Jesus, meaning they say Jesus is not fully God, that Jesus is just a man, or Jesus came to earth, but then became God for a little bit and then wasn't God for a little bit. And so they, they take the person of Jesus and they begin to twist it and distort it. Or they distort the work of Jesus, what actually happened when he died on the cross and he rose from the grave. Or they might deny the fact that he actually rose from the grave. So they'll distort something of the person and work of Jesus. So you want to be on guard. What do they believe about the person and work of Jesus. And how does that match up with this book? The other thing they often do, and I would say it certainly happened in this cult for sure, is they distort how one who claims to follow Christ should live. And oftentimes what they do is they appeal to some kind of sinful passion or desire. And they present it as this new and enlightened Idea or experience. So you can be on guard. Are they distorting who Jesus is? Or are they distorting how a follower of Jesus should live? It's a good way to be on guard. This past summer, when my family and I were on vacation at the beach, we went to Ocean City, Maryland for a day. And I grew up going to Ocean City, Maryland every year. And one of the things I loved when I was little was going into the little carnival section on the boardwalk where they it's for little kids and there they have the carnival mirrors they're kind of off in a corner right now but i think it's the exact same mirrors that were there when i was a little kid and i love them because if you've ever looked at a carnival mirror it's you but it's not you so it's either a very plump version of you or a very very long necked version of you or a very short-legged version of you which is kind of how i am already or a very long-legged version of you but it's you just a very distorted image of you. And what makes them fun is because you can look in them and you see yourself or your family together and it's a resemblance of you. Well, false teachers, what makes them effective is there's a resemblance of some sort of Christianity, but it's not the real thing. And so something is out of whack. Something is distorted. So you can be on guard. Now this distortion that John is concerned about is nothing new. It has been happening since the beginning of the fall of Adam and Eve. So look at Genesis chapter 3. This is Satan himself in the garden. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say? So he's attacking the very words of God, and he's going to give an alternative. That is a common strategy that's been happening since the fall of man. You could pick a subject today. Well, Christians once taught this, but did, did God actually say that? Is that really in the Bible? Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So God set parameters around it. But the serpent said to the woman, no, 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 that's not true. You will not surely die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. you actually be like God. So that's why he didn't want you to do it. So he's twisting and he's distorting. And you will be like God, knowing good from evil. And that alone was enough for Eve to change her mind about eating the fruit. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, Adam, who was with her, and he ate also. See, false teachers can be very kind, compassionate, articulate, highly intelligent, very persuasive. That's what makes them effective. But we must put them to the test of God's word. We must hold them to the standard of God's word. We must be able to look past their, their cleverness and their ability to articulate. This is why John says in verse 1 Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. This word is a metallurgy term, which is to, to test the purity of the metals. That's literally what that, that word is taken from. So we're to use. This as the test. So no matter how persuaded a group of people seems to be by the person who's speaking, the question is, is it true? Is it what the Bible teaches? Or is it something different? Is it some sort of distortion? See, John wants the church he's writing to, he wants us to be discerning between What is true and what is false and you have if you are a believer in jesus you have the holy spirit in you and you have god's written word so you can study and you can read the word in context and learn to discern what is true and what is false and the best thing to do is learn to center around the person of jesus see the bible says jesus is fully god many false teachers say jesus is not fully God or he's just a God or he's just a very sincere man or some false teachers say Jesus wasn't a man at all but the Bible says he was fully man or some say that he died on the cross to show the ultimate sacrifice but the Bible says he died as the substitute for your sins absorbing the wrath upon yourself some say he died and didn't rise from the grave, but the Bible says he rose and appeared to 500 people or more. Some say he already returned, so we don't have to wait for his return. But the Bible clearly says he hasn't yet returned, and when he returns, we will know it. So you can learn and grow. See, the key is to know the real thing, to study and read the Bible. Our prayer, our hope as pastors is that this church will be filled with men and women, teenagers, boys and girls, that know and understand God's Word from reading it themselves. And so they don't need a pastor to point it out, but they see it with, you see it with your own eyes. You can defend it with your own ability. That doesn't mean we're anti-pastors. Obviously, I'm teaching right now, but we want you to be in God's Word. See, we guard against false teaching by learning their schemes and their strategies, which is distorting in effective ways. And we guard by knowing, believing, and trusting in Jesus. Point number two. True believers confess and trust in Jesus Christ as revealed in the scriptures. Verse two. By this, you know the Spirit of God. How do you know the true Spirit? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ, Jesus, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, has come in the flesh. See, one of the the popular false teachings when John was writing was a distortion about the fact that Jesus wasn't really a human. That he didn't really come in the flesh. And so John wants his original hearers to know, no, he really came in the flesh. He's a real person. Why does that matter? Well, we celebrated communion today, and the reason you and I can be certain that we're going to heaven if we've trusted in Jesus is because Jesus was fully man, meaning he could die in our place as a fellow human. He was perfect, but he was also fully God, so he could absorb the holy wrath of God upon himself. We have no hope in this life or the one to come if Jesus is not a perfect man and if Jesus is not fully God. And see, John was so concerned about this, this is why he starts 1 John, the letter, with this very tactile response. So I'm going to read, and I want you to think of which of the five senses is John talking about as he introduces this letter. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. We've seen it, testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. See, John was one of the 12 apostles. He was the closest human being to Jesus as far as friendship goes. And he, he, he touched him. He saw him with his own eyes. He, he ate many meals with him. He was a good, close friend. He knew he was a real human being. And now, decades later, as he's writing this letter, he wants everyone to know that the hope of the world The hope of your salvation came to earth in a real human body to rescue a real people who would look to Him and trust in Him. See, it is essential to trust and believe in the real, true Jesus as described in the Bible. It really is the difference between spending eternity with God in heaven or spending eternity in hell experiencing the wrath and punishment of the Lord. That's why this this may seem basic, but it's why it's so essential. This is the divider between the human race. This is the divider between what is true and what is false. This is the divider between true religion, which is in Christ, and false religion and philosophies. This is why Paul writes this in Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, meaning He is King and Lord, one day return and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, He conquered sin, He conquered death, He was the acceptable punishment for our sin, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, declared righteous. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. For Scripture says... Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. Everyone who believes in Him, no matter what you've ever done in thought, word, in action, if you put your faith in Jesus, you will never be put to shame. And the moment you die, you will be welcomed into God's presence. He says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. When you call on the true Jesus, all the riches, all the spiritual blessings and inheritance are yours in Jesus. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So true believers confess and trust in Jesus Christ as revealed in the Bible. False teachers This is point number three, believe in a denial of Jesus as the promised Messiah. It's a mark of false teaching. So point three, denial of Jesus or denying Jesus as the promised Messiah is a mark of false teachers. Verse three, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard was coming and now is coming in the world. So this, this spirit is, is, is what is behind those who are teaching things that are not true about Jesus. No matter if they come in a very articulate, kind, and gentle, and persuasive form, or very loud and obnoxious form, or a very showy and gaudy form, underneath that, if they're teaching and distorting something about Jesus, John would say, that that's the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, this distortion, it it can come in many forms. Uh, I'm taking a systematic theology class right now, and one of the things we have to do is study all the different kind of false beliefs about Jesus. And in the big book that I'm studying and reading, this, this kind of spirit of the Antichrist, these false teachers that have existed throughout church history, at times they come in very, very subtle, gentle, well, highly well-educated forms. Very liberal in their thinking. And I'm not talking about politics, I'm talking about in their approach to the Bible and the person of Jesus. And they'll take one little part about Jesus and they'll slightly twist it and turn it. And it, it, they do it in such a way that can be very influential. And often they will mess with the original um, translation of the Bible. And it, it's subtle. And, and, and so we want to be on guard. But you don't need to know Greek or Hebrew to know what does a good English Bible say about the person and work of Jesus. Other times it may come in a, a really greedy form that, that maybe many of us can see through a lot faster that if you want to be satisfied and you want to be blessed in Jesus just give me your credit card number now most of us don't fall for that some of us might fall for that but oftentimes the worst of that goes more like this and this is, this is sad it's more like well if your son or daughter grown son or daughter is addicted to Heroin or other drugs. If you give this amount of money, that chain of addiction will be set, will be broken free. They will be set free tonight if you do it now. Well, that's wrong. That is sinful. That, that is greedy. That is twisted. Because we know the true Jesus says, "Anyone who calls on my name, I will set free. Anyone who looks to me for salvation." I will set free. I have the power to break the, the power of sin and enslavement to all sins, Jesus would say. So we don't need somebody manipulating that for a blessing to happen. No, we need to trust in the one true Jesus. Verse or point number four Christians have overcome distorted views of Jesus. If God's Spirit is in you, you've overcome this distorted, funny mirror version of Jesus. Christians have overcome distorted views of Jesus. John says, little children, that's just his endearing words for the church. You, believers in Jesus, are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. See, this is where you you don't need to fear. If you're a believer in Jesus, God's Spirit is in you. You've been made alive. You've been born alive. Again, the true Spirit, the only true Spirit, lives in you. But then he says in verse 5, they, the false teachers, are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. In 1 Peter, Peter says something really interesting. Or, I'm sorry, in 2 Timothy 4.3, uh, Timoth- or Paul says this to Timothy. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate themselves for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Let me read that again. For the time is coming, say, the time is here, when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So be on guard against teachers that that teach a certain way to a certain thing that appeals to a certain part of human nature that God says no to, says we should not give in to, we should not indulge in. See, when God sets parameters on our behavior, it is for our good. It is for our joy, is for our satisfaction. He knows that within these bounds, there is joy and satisfaction. Outside of these bounds comes shame, regret, hurt, devastation, brokenness of every form. So watch out for teachers that appeal to the itching ears of sinful passions and desires. See, we guard against false teachers by learning their schemes and their strategies. We guard against them by knowing and believing and trusting in the true Jesus. Final point, point number five. Genuine believers have the litmus test of God's word to measure the truth. Genuine believers, we have this. And my prayer, our prayers, pastors, is that you would just spend lots and lots of time in this book you would read it and study it and ask questions and make notes and really get to know your Lord and Savior through studying, spending time in this book. Verse 6, We are from God. Now he's talking, the we there is, he's saying the apostles, the ones who are penning Scripture. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. So in our our time and day and age, being 2,000 years after Christ died, rose from the grave, and ascended, the we now is God's Word. We have God's written Word through the inspired authors. And so we have this as our standard. And he says, by this we know the Spirit of Truth and the Spirit of Error. We have these 66 reliable, trustworthy books that are to be read in context, to be properly understood in the genre that they were written, and you have the Holy Spirit in you, so you can really understand and know God in a deep way and guard against any false or errant teaching. You've heard us say this many times, and we will continue to say this. This is what we want you to be like as followers of Jesus, as members of Saving Grace Church. This is in Acts 17. Verses 10 through 12. Their brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. It's a city. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews, the ones of Berea, were more noble than those of Thessalonica. Kind of feel bad about the Thessalonica ones. But they were better. They were were more astute. They received the word with all eagerness. So these, these people from Berea, they received God's word with all eagerness. They were paying close attention but you know what they did look at what happened next examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so so they heard the word like you're hearing it right now but then they looked for themselves is this what the scriptures actually say you don't know how happy we are when you send us emails or ask us questions. Are you sure that's what the Bible says? Because when I'm reading it in context, I think it could mean this. We want a church full of you doing this, that you are in God's word. It said, Now the Jews were more noble to those than, than in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if the things were so. Many of them therefore believed, and not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So we want to be on guard. We want to get to know the Lord more and more through his word. And as we do, we know we will guard against false teachers by learning their schemes and their strategies. And the Bible has lots of schemes and strategies of false teachers and those who seek to confuse us about Jesus. And we will guard against them By knowing, believing, and trusting in the true Jesus. Let's stand and pray, and if the the worship team could come on up. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the first word to the last word, and every word in between. Holy Spirit, I pray for those watching or in the room who love you and know you, and yet reading this giant book that You have given us, is just difficult and hard. I pray You would give them um, eyes and a heart to understand and a, and a desire to read and devour Your Word. And I pray that they would just grow in seeing You and knowing You more. And we pray that uh, You would guard and protect each of us from any distortion of the truth, whether it's in the person and work of Jesus, or in how we should live for you. Lord, guard and protect us. Help us to be humble, joyful, and confident in you. Help us to be bold in telling others about the Lord and Savior who rescued us. And Lord, we will give you all the praise, and we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.